wonder if you can think about the relationships in your life, the, the people that you're connected to in, in any way, shape, or form. If you think about your relationships, is there any relationship where what you believe about the person that you're in a relationship with, what you believe about them, and what you think about the way that you are related to them, and the way that they're related to you. Is there any relationship in which the person that you're connected with, the person that you're relating to, the, the way that you see them, the, what the, things that, the things that you believe about them, and the things that you think they think about you, that that doesn't affect the way that you relate to them, that doesn't affect the way that you connect with them, that doesn't affect the way that you're in a relationship with them. For example, right? I mean, we're going to stretch it out here kind of to, to make the point go, go way back. Uh, elementary school. Um, Mr. Mason was the vice principal in our school. I had a relationship with him. It was a loose relationship, right? But he, he um, tyrannized the, the lunch room every single day with an iron fist, like we're talking like kindergarten through sixth grade, gathered together a hundred or so in a lunchroom and we were not allowed to speak at all. He invoked terror over our lives. And so anytime I saw Mr. Mason coming down the hallway, you know what I wanted to do? Anything but make any kind of eye contact, be noticed in any way, shape, or form, you know, like just avoidance. But it's a form of communication, right? It's a form of connection. He's the boss. He's the ruler. He's the master. Stay clear. Or another example, Laura Katoff. She was amazing. Middle school. She was, as they say, I don't think you can say this anymore, but back then, she was out of my league. And when I say out of my league, I don't mean she was like AAA, I was AA. I mean, she was like major league all-star, and I was like little league, the obligatory two innings, one at bat per game, out of my league, right? And when I saw Laura, it's like... But if I ever spoke to her, nothing intelligible came out of my mouth. And her relationship to me, like, she didn't know I existed. So it kind of was like, but it affected the way that I related, the way that I communicated with her. Another example. One time I was uh, interviewing for a job. Um, it, was, it was a church job. And when you interview for church jobs, um, there's the pastor and his wife, um, like, literally, for the first five years here, I wasn't sure people knew Deb's name. It was just the pastor and his wife. So your wife's actually in the interview. And so I was interviewing for a job, relationship, right? Do we want this connection? They're here. They're looking for a pastor. I'm here. I'm a pastor. Are we going to? And to be honest, I didn't really want this job. And I walked into this interview, into this conversation, into this dialogue, into a job that I didn't really want. And because I didn't really want the job, it affected how I related to them. And so during the, and I didn't really realize it at the time, but, but we're going through this conversation, having this dialogue, and I was like sitting back in my seat with my arms back like this during an interview, 
And afterwards, Deb said, who are you? That you would be so arrogant, take such a posture in this, in this conversation. But who I was relating to and my view of them and their view of me and what I thought they thought of me and, and all that affected the way that I communicated with them. Relationship is the context of communication. Communication takes place in the context of relationship and who it is that we're relating to and what we believe about them and what we think they believe about us. If the relationship changes, the conversation changes. We are in our second week of this series, Prayer Works. Prayer works, period. Does it? And prayer works mechanics. If it works, how does it work? Is there a way that it works? And is there a way that it works better than if you do it this way than another way? How does prayer work? Prayer, at the most basic level, is conversation with God. Sometimes I actually wish we didn't call it prayer, because what we're really talking about is a conversation with God, and prayer takes on this notion. It's like, you know, I, I don't know. I think it, it kind of freaks people out just to use the word, and all we're really talking about is talking with God and, and listening to God. How we pray, how we pray reveals a great deal about what we believe about God and about what we believe about how it is that we're related to or how it is that we're connected to God. How we pray, or actually you could say if we pray, is connected to what it is that we believe about who it is that we're praying to and how we believe we're connected to them. A whole lot is going on before we even speak the word Start the address, dear God. Our perception of who we're talking to is shaped by the things that we've heard about God, by the things that we've experienced in prior conversations with God, by things that have happened in the course of our life, by experiences we've had, by prior times when we've reached out to God, when we've cried out to God, and, and how we've interpreted or believed he's responded to those things positively or negatively, silence, monstrous voice, all of that factors into, before we even say, before we even start to address, dear God, all, we have already all this other stuff that's going into play, that's a part of the conversation. A lot of times, just, I mean, we fill in the blanks from things that have happened before. Think about this, right? Have you ever sent out a text to somebody that was important to you and um, there was no response? And, and you think what? You don't think, oh, they must have their phone turned off. You think, oh, they're ignoring me, or oh, they must be upset with me, or oh, they're, right? You fill in, we start filling in the blanks based on what we expect and what we receive in response. We do the same thing in all of our conversations, right? If, if Deb and I have a fight in the morning, 
The next time I see her in the back of my mind, I'm thinking about, oh, I better like tread lightly here because I'm not sure what we're walking back into. Relationship with God, conversation with God. What are we bringing to the table before we even start? All of that applies to prayer. Who is God? And what is our relationship to him? Well, if you believe the core foundations of Judeo-Christian faith, I believe that God is the creator of the universe. That, That he made it all. Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah says, with great power and outstretched arm, God says, I made the earth and its people and the animals on it. That God is the creator, that God made everything that we see, everything that exists, spoke it into reality. All of the earth. Just some context. We live on planet Earth. I discovered this week, I didn't know this. Do you know that 1.3 million Earths were fit inside of the sun? Wow. Like 1.3 million of these goes inside of that little bitty dot up in the sky that brings life to all of the planet. We don't have life without the sun. 1.3 million Earths in the sun would fit in the sun, and there are 400 billion billion suns in the universe. And God made it all. Creator of everything that is. Put the universe together. The psalmist says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. For he laid the earth's foundations and the seas and built it on the ocean depths. All of it. Ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky, Paul says. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, divine nature. If you just... Open your eyes, if you just look up, if you just look around and see everything that God has made, all that exists in the world, and say, okay, that was made by the Creator. Paul says there's no excuse for not knowing God. Where did it come from? How did it get there? He put the universe here. I I used the word put. I actually wish I hadn't because put makes it kind of sound like he, he took the pieces that were there, like a Lego set, and then put them all together to make this, you know, great thing. He actually did. He, like, made the Lego blocks and then put them together. And he holds them all together. Hebrews says, The sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Or Paul says in Colossians, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He put it together, and he's holding it together. 
I was curious. I was, okay, well, what, is, what do our scientists say holds the world together? So I Googled it. And um, what I discovered in Googling it is that um, the, the, the smallest form of matter is atoms, right? We have these itty-bitty atoms. And do you know what holds one atom to another atom, how they're connected? Like Bondo, uh, superglue, you know, something really sticky. Actually, um, nothing visible, nothing tangible that you can, like, touch or feel holds them together. They're held together by... Um, Google says electric, electrostatic forces. My um, chemistry science daughter called them intermolecular forces, but kind of, you know, I don't know which is like the macro and which is, you know, the smaller version. But, but they're held together by these positive and negative ions between the, between the atoms that are part of the little orbital things. You remember seeing those? Held together, but, but you can't actually see them, touch them. They're kind of like, the more I read, the more confused I got. So you just have to, I'm not making any kind of like scientific, you know, statements today. And I'm going to sound really stupid in saying this, but it's kind of like a macro version of gravity. And that you, can, you can't see it. You don't really know how it works or why it works, but it does work predictably. You know, like every time you walk out, it, you, it holds you to the ground. And again, if you jump, you fall down to the ground again and again. There's something holding all these things together that we can't see or touch, but we know that they do. We don't really know what causes it or how causes it. And I kind of I think of um, Paul when he walked into the street, uh, through the streets of the city of Athens, and he's walking around and he's seeing all these different altars to all these different gods. And he finds an altar in the city of Athens and it says, an altar to the unknown god. It's like we have, the, the, the Greeks, they had all these gods that existed and are the, in their minds that they existed. And they had altars to all these other, all these gods, all these different gods that they believed in. And they had one altar just in case we're missing some god out there. We're going to have an altar for the unknown god, for the things that we don't know. And so he stands and um, goes out into the streets and he says, hey, Athenians, what you don't know, I proclaim to you as being the living God. Uh, the unknown God that you, I'm going to tell you who he is. I, I feel like when I read this stuff, it's like, what, all this stuff that you signed that you don't know, let me tell you. He is the one holding it all together. This unknown God, this unknown force in the universe, holding it all together. He put it together. He holds it together. Who are we talking to? The creator, the sustainer of the universe. We talk about coming to God in prayer and asking God for anything in our lives. What the faith of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses, and Jesus, and Paul, and Peter, and James, and John, and the, third, the church down through the ages, when it comes to the one that we pray to, power is not an issue. Right? If he can create it all, and he can hold it all together, and you say, well, is he holding it all together? Okay, there's a lot of problems in the world, but none of you have spontaneously combusted this morning, right? None of your atoms have 
holds it all together. Power is not is an issue. What is our relationship to this phenomenal cosmic force? The Gospel of John. John writes, to all who believed him, Jesus, and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They're reborn not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. Jesus' mission was to restore our relationship to the creator and the sustainer of the universe, and he calls this relationship parent-child. Not servant, not slave, not orphan. Relationship, you are to God, the creator and the sustainer of the universe, son or daughter. Son or daughter, beloved. Jesus says, your parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you, not give, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? Every good thing in creation is a gift, Scripture says, to you from your heavenly Father. James says, do not be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to you from us, uh, to us from, our, from God our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens, created the sun and the 400 billion billion other suns that are big enough to hold 1.3 million earths, a gift. Put your hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. What are your favorite things on the earth? Your favorite places to go, your favorite things to do, your favorite people to connect with? Every one of them. The things that you love the most, the things that matter to you most, the people that matter to you the most. Every one of them, specially designed as a gift given to you. Now, you might say, well, you know, that's not really true. The ocean is for everybody, not just me. But you know what? No one experiences the ocean the same way that you do because you're a unique individual, and you have a unique connection to the Heavenly Father and a unique connection then uniquely receiving the gifts that he's given. Everyone, a gift to you. I didn't start out in this series um, to do a series on um, the Lord's Prayer because we actually just did cover some of this stuff a couple times in some 
previous series that we did. So I didn't want to, I didn't want to start with the backdrop as the Lord's Prayer as the context for our series on prayers works. But then as I'm walking into it, I get through like the first lesson, and what do I find out? What does Jesus say when he taught his disciples to pray? Our Father. What's the relationship? Son. Daughter. Heavenly Father. Who art in heaven? The creator, the sustainer of all the universe. Jesus, this is where the whole thing, the whole conversation, the whole discussion, prayer begins. It begins with knowing that you are a child and that God is the creator. That he doesn't, you, he doesn't have a power problem. Whatever our prayers are, however they're going, it's not because God can't. And it's not because God doesn't care. Because you're not a slave. You are not an orphan. You are a son or a daughter. When my kids were six months and six years and 16 and 26, and think about that, right? We did not relate to them the same, way, the same way when they were six months as when they were six years, right? Six months, you meet every need. They cry. It's like, do they need the diaper changed? Do they need to eat? Do they need a nap? You know, what's going on? How do we fix this? Whatever it is that they need. When they're six, you start to have a different kind of conversation with them. They start speaking and you have to figure out how to navigate the words instead of the cries. And when they're 16, right, you're not just like giving, taking care of every need and you're not just like telling them what to do now. Now you have to figure out how to negotiate some things and how to figure out how to persuade them to do some things that they don't necessarily want to do anymore. And when they're 26, you really wish sometimes you could just say, you know what, just do this. <laughs> but they don't hear that anymore, and you got to figure out how to navigate that. And then you find out, like, along the way that sometimes it gets really hard, because, like, when they're 16, you still think they're 6, and they think they're 26, and then that's, like, way off the rails. It's challenging. But the conversation changes as they grow up. In our relationship with our Heavenly Father, Growth is the expectation. That God is actually committed to our maturity. Committed to us growing up. He, he says this, you find this over and over again. Paul in his um, letter to the church at Corinth. Brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. Brothers and sisters, church, he's saying to the church at Corinth, they were kind of a rascally bunch, stop acting like little kids. Grow up. Hebrews, let us, learn, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity. 
not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about cleansing rites, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment. Let's move on. Let's take the conversation forward. Let's grow up. Let's move towards maturity. John, the apostle of Jesus, says, I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who was from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God is in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Just note here, there are children, there are fathers, there are young men, there are mothers, there are young daughters, there are people at different levels. And we're not talking about age now, we're talking about spiritual growth, spiritual development, and people are at different stages, different phases of the growth process. While we're at different places, the expectation is still growth from immaturity to maturity. So that the body of Christ, Paul says, may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, moving toward maturity. Jesus advocated childlike faith, trusting him like a child. But there's a difference between childlike faith and childish faith. Sometimes I think we want to remain childish, even when we have a difficult time being childlike. Childish is like this. Our childlike is like this, right? Kaylee's four years old, and she's standing on top of a tree trunk about this high, dead, right? Standing on top of it. And I walk by, and she said, catch me, Daddy, and she jumps. And like, <laughs> and I catch her. That's childlike faith. That's trust, right? Childish faith is when my 12-year-old disrespects their mother and I discipline them and they expect me to treat them like, catch me, daddy. No, I'm not going to catch you. You're going to fall on your face because you just disrespected your mom, right? You don't do that. You don't act that way when you're that age. Grow up. And when we grow up, because the relationship is deepening and we're connecting at a different level. We're experiencing a deeper level of intimacy and communion and fellowship with God. And we're expanding in this relationship our participation with him in what he is doing in the world which is where we circle back around and say, what are we doing when we pray? Well, how old are we? Not age-wise, how old are we in our faith? Are we praying like six-year-olds 
when we've been walking with God for 16 years, or 26 years, or 46 years, Hebrews says, endure hardship as discipline. Strengthen your feeble arms and your weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. He's saying to the followers of Jesus, to the people of God, hey, you need to grow up in your relationship with God. You need to grow up into maturity in your faith because there are people who need you to be strong to help them become strong, to help them grow up because you have a partnership. As we go on to the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at the dimensions of that, the aspect of that partnership and why it is so important for us to mature, for us to grow up, for us to develop in our faith because God intends to use us in his work that he's doing in the world. God does, we do not have a God who is incapable. He created everything, sustains it all. We do not have a God who is disinterested. He is your heavenly father. You are his beloved son or daughter. We do have a God who, as our Heavenly Father, calls us to become mature in our relationship with Him and to partner with what He is doing in the world. And maturity is necessary for the partnership.